us join in our call to worship. Sisters and brothers rejoice. We live sustained by God's presence and love. Thanks be to God. As we work to build the beloved community, God works with us. As we offer our gifts to all, God blesses us. Sisters and brothers rejoice. Sustained by God's presence and love, we worship God. So friends, on this day when we remember our baptisms and are challenged to keep them holy, we remember as well our lifelong need for grace. All of us have fallen short of our baptismal calling at times, but we know that God continues to call us to the water renew our lives. So trusting that this renewal is not only possible, but is God's promise to us, let us share together in our prayer of confession. Holy God. 
In our baptisms, you have promised us forgiveness and new life and have made us part of the wider body of Christ. But we confess we remain focused primarily on ourselves, denying that we are tied to one another in a single garment of destiny, ignoring that injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We have seen peace as an absence of tension rather than the presence of your justice. May we aspire to something greater than the status quo. May your church meet the challenge of this decisive hour. Remind us of the promises you make in baptism so that together we may rise to new life and live in your grace. Amen. The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting, and this is the good news of the gospel, that whatever you have done or whatever you have failed to do, whoever you are and whoever you wish that you were but are not yet, know that you are accepted, you are welcomed, and you are loved. Even when we sin and falter, God still knows us and loves us and forgives us. So friends, believe this good news. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. It is loved and forgiven by God that we share a sign of Christ's peace with one another as a reminder that God has knit all of us together. And so I invite you to turn and greet those seated around you with a sign of Christ's peace. And I would also invite those of you who are joining us online to sign in and to let us know that you are here with us today. So may the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. <laughs> Friends, let us pass the peace of Christ to our neighbors. Well, indeed, good morning and a warm welcome to worship here at Fourth Presbyterian Church on this frigid second Sunday after Epiphany and this weekend in which we honor the life and ministry of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. We are glad to have you worshiping here with us today from the brave and hearty Chicagoans who have braved sub-zero temperatures to be here in the sanctuary to those who are joining us online from places like Johnston, South Carolina, Farmington, Utah, and even Tokyo and Dresden. If you are here in the sanctuary, I do hope that you will take a moment now to find and fill out the pew pads that you'll find at the end of each row, and those help us to be in touch with you and know of your presence with us. And if you are looking to explore new or different opportunities at the start of this new year, I hope that you'll take a moment at some point to look through the closing pages of your bulletins, where you'll find information ranging from a panel presentation on the growing migrant population across the Chicagoland area as we seek a compassionate response to this complex issue, as well as an upcoming Michigan Avenue forum with best-selling author Robert P. Jones on the hidden roots of white supremacy and the future of American democracy. Also in this new year, one of the particular areas of focus for our congregation is our long-range planning work, and your input in that process is vital. Our long-range long planning task force will be hosting a variety of listening sessions to share both the proposed directions and goals for our church, as well as to receive your feedback. 
The first of these sessions will be on Zoom this upcoming Thursday, along with a session that is in person next Sunday. And you can find further details about all that and more in those closing pages of your bulletin. Finally, today is also a very significant day in the life of our congregation, as our senior associate pastor, Lucy Forster-Smith, will be embarking on retirement after today's service. As part of that process, we will be gathering after the 11 a.m. service for a congregational meeting to formally dissolve the pastoral relationship between Lucy and Fourth Church. And those of you who are joining us online can find a link for that congregation meeting in your bulletin. Most importantly, though, following this service and following that congregational meeting as well, we'll have an opportunity to thank Lucy for her ministry here and to wish her well in this next chapter. So Lucy, I hope you know that you will be deeply missed and we are so grateful to have her in the pulpit today. So again, a warm welcome to all of you and let us continue in this spirit of worship as we celebrate the sacrament of baptism. So friends, obeying the word of our Lord Jesus and confident of his promises, we baptize those whom God has called. And we give particular thanks this morning for Caroline Mattis, child of Paul and Catherine Coogan, who is about to be baptized. In baptism, God claims us and seals us and shows us that we belong to God. God frees us from sin, uniting us with Christ, and by water and the Holy Spirit, we are made members of the church, the body of Christ, and joined to Christ's ministry of love, peace, and justice. So let us remember with joy our own baptisms as we celebrate this sacrament. So parents, I will ask you these questions. Do you desire your child to be baptized? Do you? We do. Beautiful. Do you, as her parents, confess your own faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and do you trust in him? We do. Obeying the word of our Lord Jesus Christ and confidence of, of his promises, we baptize all whom God has called. In baptism, God calls us and claims us and seals us and shows that we belong to God, and God frees us. And so this day, we will... Um, Ask Jill Finstermaker, a member of the church's session who has a question for the congregation. In our Presbyterian tradition, the congregation as a whole takes responsibility for nurturing those baptized into the life of the church. Do you, as members of the Church of Jesus Christ, promise to guide and nurture this child by word and deed, with love and prayer, encouraging them to know and follow Christ and to be a faithful member of Christ's church? If so, please say, we do. We do. Beautiful. And let us pray. We give you thanks, eternal God, for you nourish and sustain all living things by the gift of water. In the beginning of time, your spirit moved over the watery chaos calling forth order and life. In the waters of the Jordan, Jesus was baptized by John 
and anointed with your spirit. By the baptism and his own death and resurrection, Christ has set us free from sin and death and opened the way to life eternal. Gracious God, we pray now that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon this water and upon us, that this font may be a place of new birth. As Caroline passes through these waters, may she be delivered from death to life, from bondage to freedom, from sin to righteousness. Strengthen her to serve you with joy until the day you make all things new. To you be praise, honor, and glory through Jesus Christ, our Savior, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns forever. So would you, Jill, please present yes. the child. Paul and Catherine Coogan presents their child, Caroline Mattis, for baptism. And would the sponsors please stand? Yay. So I'll baptize her. Caroline Mattis, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And Caroline, child of the covenant, you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit and marked as Christ's own forever. So if you want to go back to your seats and then turn and face the congregation. This child is the newest member of our church family. And it is with thanksgiving that we welcome her and, share, who, and who shares with us in Christ's ministry. And it is with joy that we will watch her grow into the person that God has called her to be. So in gratitude to God for the gift of this sacrament, let us pray. Merciful and loving God, you've called each of us by name. You hold each of us through your love. And we now ask that you watch over Caroline, that as she grows up, you would be guiding her every step of the way. Increase her compassion for others, inspire her to make a difference in this world, and help her to know that she is one of your beloved children. Help her parents as they teach their faith to her and help us as a church to support them in doing so. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Friends, the grace of God, the love of Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you always, amen.
Let us pray. You've declared that your kingdom is among us. O oh God, now open our eyes to see it, our ears to hear it, our hearts to hold it, our hands to serve it. In Jesus' name, amen. Our Psalter reading this morning is from Psalm 139, verses 1 through 6 and 13 through 18. Listen now for God's word to us. Lord, you've searched me out. O oh Lord, you've known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You trace my journeys and my resting places and are acquainted with all my ways. Indeed, there's not a word on my lips, but you, O oh Lord, know it all together. You encompass me behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain to it. For you yourself created my inmost parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will thank you because I am marvelously made. Your works are wonderful, and I know it well. My body was not hidden from you, but I was being made in secret and woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my limbs, yet unfinished in the womb. All of them were written in your book. My days were fashioned before they came to be. How deep I find your thoughts, O oh God. How great is the sum of them. If I were to count them, there would be more in number than the sands. To count them all, my lifespan would need to be like yours. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Sunday school today. So kids, as you go upstairs to learn about Jesus's baptism in your class, I hope on your way out you'll say hello to Caroline, who is the newest member of our church family in her baptism. So as you head upstairs to your classroom now, I hope you'll wave hello and welcome to her, and it is so great to have you with us today. Our sermon lesson this morning comes from 1 Samuel, the third chapter, beginning at the first verse. Hear now God's word to you for this day. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. 
At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his room, and the lamp of the Lord had not gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel, he said, here I am, and ran to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But Eli said, I did not call, lie down again. So he went and lay down. The Lord called again, Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But Eli said, I did not call, son, lie down. Now Samuel did not know the Lord yet, and the word of the Lord had not been revealed to him. And the Lord called again a third time, and he got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down. And if you hear the voice again, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood there, calling as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. Then the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make both ears of anyone who hears of it tingle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from the beginning to the end, for I have told him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming the Lord, and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be expiated by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay there until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called to Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. He said, Here I am. And Eli said, What was it that the Lord told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me. And so Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. Then Eli said, It is the Lord. Let God do, what's, do what seems good. Holy wisdom, holy word. The boy lay on his mat. He heard something. Some voice roused him out of his slumber. It had been a tough time in the temple, his home where he slept. It was a time when both the vision was dim in the priest Eli and in the land. And all we know is that when vision is dim, when darkness closes in, there's a haunting sense of anticipation or dread, whatever mood lays its blanket over the place at the moment. 
Sleep had seemed disturbed all over the place with the cunning, seductive sons of the priests so offending the sacrificial practices that God was put off and ready to put them off as well. And it is at this rather dark time, this time when the world had closed in around Eli so as to smother the light, that we are told that the word of God was rare. Samuel, the voice called. Samuel, the name that means God has heard, holds a reminder of Samuel's beginnings. You may recall it was Samuel's mother, Hannah, who in her barrenness came to the door of the temple and prayed fervently for her womb to be opened up. And Eli, this same priest who sat at the temple door, thought she was drunk and chastised her for such behavior. She said to the priest, I am a woman sorely troubled, sir. I am pouring out my soul before the Lord because I am barren. I will do anything to have a child, and if God grants it, I will give the child to the Lord all the days. Well, with this, Eli realized her predicament and sent her off with the blessing of God on her. And indeed, she conceived. And when Samuel was weaned, Hannah took him to the temple and gave him in the keeping of the temple through the priest Eli. Samuel, the voice calls, and the child makes his way to the priest. The boy came to that chamber of the old priest, rousing him from deep sleep, saying, Here I am, for you called me. And the ancient priest Eli startles awake. I did not call. Lie down. And Samuel obediently returns to his mat. But the voice calls again, Samuel. It's an urgent voice. And again, Samuel goes to the priest and says, Here am I, for you called me. And again, the priest sends him back to sleep. Well, maybe by the third time that Samuel came back to the priest, letting him know that he thought the priest was calling, the priest was wide enough to wake, awake to realize that though his own vision was dimming with time and his own sons had lost any vision for the call of Yahweh, perhaps the lamp of the Lord was still flaring up from a flicker, as it seemed to have been for some time. And so the old priest on this third awakening may have remembered his own call, the voice that summoned his own life. And perhaps he remembered that day at the temple door when Samuel's mother, crying out to God, had said that she would give her child over to the temple for him to be a part of that world. Perhaps he remembered also of his own understanding that sometimes God calls even the very young. Eli must have shuddered. He pulled his bedclothes close, and in the middle of a very dark time and a very dark night, he instructed the child to return again to his place. And if that voice came again, he should invite the word of God to come. Well, this story 
of Samuel, though it seems to be sort of an idyllic account of childlike faith, it comes at a time when there is tremendous upheaval in the life of the people of Israel. And what did that voice say to Samuel? God was about to do a new thing, the respected house of Eli would have been pro which had been promised earlier that they would live forever will now be punished and it will be a time of tingling in the ears for the people what about is what is about to happen is not a joyful uplifting reality but a disruptive devastating assertion that Eli has failed and it's to this scene that the call comes in a season to a na the naivete of a young boy. How quickly we become aware that to be called, to be named for a specific task is to be claimed by God is often a spiritually uplifting task, but at times it's a hideous calling. And for to speak to God and for God is often to be summoned to a task that is risky, costly, and challenging. In another time, a time that is many of our own time, another child spoke out and he said, it's not easy being a king. These words came from Dexter King, one of Martin Luther King Jr.'s sons, and it's quite an understatement. The children of Dr. King grew up at a time when threats came to the King family, when bombing and hoses were set on innocent people, when King's vision for a world where children had hope, where the color of one's skin would not be predictive of their life outcomes when King was gathering with leaders all over the country, including here in Chicago, trying to set right the wrong that had been inflicted and to stand ready to comfort the irascible sin of racism. It was a time as in our scripture from 1 Samuel when the word of the Lord was rare. It was a time then and it is our time now. It's not easy being a king, said Dexter King. Would he ever have imagined that his father's life would take the shape it did? King was a great preacher, a great teacher, mentor, justice maker, a prophet after the manner of Samuel, whose call it was to launch new tradition of kings in the nation Israel and also a prophet. Martin Luther King Jr. led in his time through dim days when the inner sanctum of the passion for justice for all God's children was dim. God help King, God help the boy Samuel. Indeed, often the call of God comes through times when the skidding world hears a voice that calls from the upended to the upending. But that night in the temple, it was not full cup of affliction that came, but it was a bewildered boy who needed his mentor to help him know the Lord. That night in a dim temple, 
where the lamp was flickering and the night was close and the priest's eyesight was failing, the priest instructs the child like it's his last will and testament, go lie down, and if the voice comes to you, say, speak, Lord, for thy servant hears. And that old priest and this old world with its blindness, its flickering light, needs to trust that God is still speaking. In this day, this hour, where is the word speaking to us? Like those times long ago, we live in times of tremendous cunning and craftiness, calculating. And at times we may ask, has the lamp of the Lord gone out? Has the very voice of God that calls out to us gone away? Well, I'm convinced that God is speaking today through the unexpected, and we must listen to the longing and persistent voices of those whom we'd never expect to be speaking God's word. It's often come to me through the generations of young people. It is quite often those who carry the genetic proclivity of a Martin Luther King Jr. and the prophetic proclivity of Samuel. And maybe they don't know the Lord, but there's a power of God speak. I hear in some rap music, in basement bands, in slam poetry and things I can't even name. God is also speaking through the uncompromising vision of wide, wise and courageous middle-aged and older people. And when the boy musters the courage to say the words, speak, Lord, for your servant hears, did the juices start to flow. The Lord told it plain to Samuel, and shuddering in his bare feet in the cracking of dawn, the old priest wants to know what the word was. Yes, quaking in those bare feet, he tells it plain to Eli. And when Eli gulps down the implications of the end of his role and even his life, he uttered, it is the Lord speaking. The mantle is past. It is God's new day laboring to bring some fresh, great light to the people who walk in darkness. In my first sermon here at Fourth Church some six years ago, I spoke of hinge times, where some historians of culture say that every 500 years there's a massive shift in the order of civilization. And it was Phyllis Tickle in her book, The Great Emergence, who said that once in every 500 years, it's like a great rummage sale, an upheaval in the culture and the worldview that shapes our faith. And not unlike the great schism of the 11th century or the great reformation of the 16th century, the tsunami of change is well underway, marked by the postmodern and post-Christian sensibilities of the millennial generation. In that first sermon here, I suggested that we're living in times when the old order is coming to an end, and we stand on a threshold, glimpsing what might be coming, and the hinges are opening and closing. And now I stand here on my last Sunday with you, and could we have ever imagined what would transpire 
over these six years together. Through these years in ministry together here at Forth, we've navigated some of the most challenging social, political, and theological and personal days, at least of my lifetime. The enormous toll of the pandemic on the fabric of our life of faith, our outrage at the murder of George Floyd and then the persistent bite of racism, the war in Ukraine and now the Middle East, so many lives lost through violence in our city, gun violence in our country, some of that in our own uh, city where some Chicago Lights children and employees were shot, and mass murders in schools, malls, synagogues, churches, and clubs. Did we have any idea what our life would be like when I was standing in this pulpit six years ago. Well, to be honest, it's not surprising because this world and this, our work and our calling, our response to God and to Christ most often comes out of difficulty. Jesus' work in his lifetime centered often on moments of deep distress, deep pain, deep disease in those he engaged. And in reflecting, as I've been doing over the past days and months, it also seems to gravitate in my own call toward upending moments, wars, yes, global, but also warring factions on campus, to name a few. And indeed, my own call to ministry arose out of a personal tragedy, a rape, that carried with it a boatload of fear and uncertainty, and in the aftermath of that, a voice came to me, not surprisingly, through young people, many of whom did not know the Lord, as we hear of Samuel. They pried me out of a dim space with little vision of scrutiny of whether God was still speaking in this world, and they asked me to accompany them into a new day. And it was at Harvard Memorial Church that students and participants helped me see that I might be a match for congregational ministry. I thought I was the last person to be called to a place like Fourth Presbyterian Church. I was too chaplainy, too hang loose, too impatient with the old order. But as Nanette Sawyer reminded me this week, I said shortly after I arrived that I had little understanding of why I was here, and I guess I had little idea really of what to do, given this is the first church that I ever served. But I've been converted by you. I have come to know the remarkable, hopeful, generous embrace of the truth of God's light shining through you in the dimness of this world. There's a reason that Samuel was called. There's a reason that Martin Luther King Jr. was called, and there's a reason that you, Fourth Presbyterian Church of Chicago, are called by God through the power of the living Christ to bring your energy, your intelligence, your imaginative hearts and love to each other and bring that to light. Because what is quite remarkable is that just at the moment when you think the very lamp of God has been quenched by the shivering cold of the night and day, that God, 
that Jesus' light shines in the dark and the dark cannot put it out. I'm so honored that you called me through the power of the living God for the love of Jesus. And honestly, I step out with trepidation only to be convinced that you never know where God will show up or when God is gonna call you to something that is a remarkable surprise. And so I leave with heartfelt gladness and deep unwavering trust that the Spirit of God will bind our hearts together in Christian love, no matter the distance, no matter the hour, all in God's vast, sweeping, amazing grace. Thank you, God. Thank you, Fourth Church. Amen.
let us join our hearts together in saying what it is we believe using words from the Confession of Belhar. We believe in the triune God who gathers, protects, and cares for the Church. We believe that God has revealed God's self as the one who wishes to bring about justice and true peace among people. That God, in a world of injustice and enmity, is in a special way the God of the destitute, the poor, and the wronged. We believe that the Church must therefore stand by people in any form of suffering and need so that justice may roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Therefore, we reject any ideology which would legitimate forms of injustice. Jesus is Lord to the one and only God, Creator, Christ, and Holy Spirit, be the honor and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Holy God, you are the Creator redeemer and sustainer of our world. We turn to you now in all those aspects. We need your power of creativity to flow in and through all that we do. Help us to believe that new life and new ways are possible. Illumine our hearts and minds that we may be brave and bold change makers rooted and grounded in your exuberant creativity, help us to be creators, too. We need your power of redemption, God, to heal what is broken, to find what is lost, to save us from falling and failing again and again. Redeem us through Jesus Christ. Claim us and shape us and use us for your beautiful purposes in this magnificent world. Holy God, we need also your power of sustenance and sanctification. Through and in the Holy Spirit, you are always with us. Sustain us with a spirit of perseverance. Give us patience and conviction in equal measure compassion and courage so that we not give up in our works of service and our commitments to justice. We pray for your help in our own lives and communities, and we pray for all your people everywhere. Help us to see beyond our tiny part in your vast creation, and yet help us to remember how important our tiny part is. Make us instruments of your peace. We pray all these things, and we pray in the words that Jesus taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
God has called us into service of God's world. To answer that call, we can give of our time, of our talents, and of our treasure. As the multitudes have done before us, let us give generously to support the Church's works of compassion, dignity, justice, and beauty. Our morning offering will now be received.
join me in the litany of dedication and commitment. God of all races and nations, we praise you for all your faithful servants who have done justice, loved mercy, and walked humbly with you. For apostles, martyrs, leaders, and saints, and for humble folks whose names never made the news but are recorded in your book of life, we, we give, give you thanks, O oh God. Especially this day, we thank you for our brother, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., for his courage and conviction, for his passion for peace, and for his tireless quest of a nation that keeps faith with its promises. We, we give, give you thanks, O oh God. For the countless saints who stood in the front lines and marches, integrated schools, restaurants, and churches, and sat in buses and at lunch counters and refused to move, we give you thanks, O God. For nameless multitudes who suffered the tortures of slavery and the tyranny of oppression, who were beaten and killed, and for the nameless multitudes today whose lives are stunted and cut short by systems of brutality, we, we grieve and promise to work for justice, O oh God. And for our siblings of every race and nation who long for safety, freedom, and hope in our community and land, we, we grieve and promise to work for justice, O oh God. Lead and guide us that we may follow the way of Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever, and God's people say together, Amen.
rumor has it that there's a little party after this gathering over in Anderson Hall, so I will meet you there after the charge and benediction and the postlude. Let us hear now the charge and benediction. Go forth into this world in peace. Be of good courage, hold fast to the good, do not give anyone evil for evil. Support the weak, uphold the faint of heart. And may the blessing of God Almighty, the creator, redeemer, and sustainer of life, rest with you and those you love this day and forevermore. Thanks and glory be to God. Amen. <laughs>